Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Thank you. Man, what an what a awesome morning. Amen. Amen. It's awesome to be here with you guys. Let me, let me get myself oriented here. Uh, it's been a crazy week. Like Katie said, we uh, sold our house and I bought a new house, which is a bit like um, being fired from a cannon and then landing in another cannon. Um, <laughs> and then what she didn't tell you is for the past two months, we've been remodeling our house. Basically, everything in our entire home is remodeled, which, you know, was fun. Uh, but it, it, honestly, I, I feel really excited about the, the season coming up. I don't know if you knew this, but Easter is now uh, less than a month away. Isn't that crazy? I feel like, did anyone feel like that snuck up on you? I feel like that got here really quick. Um, I've just been like just now enjoying spring. There's finally baseball again. It's like, I feel like we're just starting. It's like, oh my gosh, Easter's here. Uh, but man, I've just been really excited just seeing the heart of the church. I uh, saw this week our Love the Block team messaged, uh, messaged and said, hey, we got some people from the block who are coming to youth group. We had new kids coming to youth ministry and just celebrating what God has been doing. And I know, I know that we got a lot of people who are uh, get the flu that's going around, and so we got a lot of people joining us online, but really, however you're here, I'm just so happy that you're a part of what God is doing here at Banner Church, and man, it's fun. I saw these, I, I don't know if we're legally allowed to have this many crockpots set up outside, but they are, and we will just pray the peace of God over this space. Uh, our, our men's team was very smart. They put them in generators, uh, so good call, guys, so this whole thing doesn't go down with what I, I can only guess is 50 crockpots. I don't even know. I don't know what the limit is, but I'm sure there's an obscure law somewhere uh, about how many crockpots you can have. But I do want to encourage you, come after service, come get some chili. We got hot dogs. We're going to be tasting it, having fun. Apparently, I'm a judge, so I have to judge chili. And uh, yeah, I, ho- I hope you guys did a good job. And you, no one, yeah, please, please hope we didn't do, go too crazy because I got to wake up tomorrow and go to the gym. So, uh, but excited. But one thing I wanted to call your attention to real quick is this little card that's on your seat or near you. You should have seen one of these that was near you. Go ahead and grab one of those and hold it in your hand. See the little art. It says Easter. It says my top three. Uh, we're doing, we're launching a series on Easter uh, called So Much More. And I want to encourage you, this is one of the most exciting things that we've done as a church, is not only here in our services are we believing so much more, what does that mean? So much more through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, so much more through the Holy Spirit for your life. We're going to talk about so much more for your identity, so much more for your relationships, so much more for your marriage, so much more for your family, so much more for your future. And not only that, but all of our small groups are really geared around different groups and people really believing for so much more. We have groups geared around families and young adults and community and relationships, all kinds of things. And our kids' ministry is going to be launching these so much more boxes, which are going to be given to you as parents with a weekly discipleship resource so you can sit down and do an activity and share a meal with your kids and really develop a discipleship plan for them. It's amazing. Yeah, you can you can share. It's okay. I know. You're like... Hey, there we go. Uh, but it's going to be incredible. But before that, we got we got to actually get to Easter week. And if you didn't know, it really starts on Palm Sunday. Holy Week starts on Palm Sunday. And it goes into the Easter week with the Good Friday service and all kinds of things. We're doing three services on Easter, 8, 30, 10, and 11, 30. Uh, because I'm going to believe you bring your friend. And if you all bring your friend, you all not fitting in here. And your kids are definitely not fitting back there. Uh, so we want to allow, we're going to still allow 
warehouse space and those kind of things. So uh, we're doing three services, and we have a little invite card you can take. When you go out, we'll have those available. It says so much more. You can give it to someone say, hey, I'm believing so much more that God's going to do something. Just come check it out, right? It's one Sunday. You know, you feel compelled anyways, right? Your grandma's happy or something, right? Uh, but we have these cards here for you this morning. And on the back, it says this, I will be praying for and inviting blank, blank, and blank to join me on Easter Sunday, April 17th at Banner Church. He says, I will be praying for and inviting, and I just want to invite you, even right now, to just write down three people, three names. Maybe you don't even know their names, and that's going to be part of your journey. You'd be like, you're like, person who is my checks out my groceries at Albertsons, right? Whatever that might be. Uh, you, might not, you might not know their name, but this is a good exercise for you. Um, to join me on Easter Sunday, and we are going to pray for the next uh, three weeks. We're going to pray together that God would give you opportunity to speak life into them, that they would come hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just for clarity, I put this verse down here. Romans 10, 14 says, but how, it, this is after he says, all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You got to be someone to somebody for the next three weeks. Tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would you hold that in your hand? I want to pray for you today as you consider who you're bringing to Easter, inviting to Easter. Lord God, we thank you that it is not by our strength, by your strength. It's by you, Holy Spirit, that you give opportunity and direction. We know the world is full of people who are broken and hurting, who need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we yield our hearts and our intentions to you. We ask, God, would you lay people in our heart even right now that you're calling us to write down and say, I'm going to pray for and invite to experience, to discover, to hear about the love of Jesus Christ, maybe for the first time in their whole life. Help me be someone to somebody this week and for the next three weeks. In your name, amen. All right, that's yours. You can take that. Uh, we are in the middle of our Meals with Jesus series. I don't know about you, but I was so blessed last week by Chandler's message. I don't know, but it was amazing. Honestly, if you did not hear this message, you need to go back and listen to it. And I'm going to add another one. If you heard the message, you should probably go back and listen to it again because he was firing out these lines. And I, I, I work here, and I was trying to keep notes. I was like, my goodness, this is good. I was like, right, this is a whole series. So he killed it. And I love love. I, man, I've just so enjoyed what our speaking team uh, of Jamin and Chandler ha have been doing. And, and as well, my wife, she's going to be speaking next week, uh, bringing the word as we continue the series. But we're going we're gonna, to like pause for a second because I want to share something, an encouragement with you today. Is that okay? Okay, we're going to pause our series. Now it's all in the same vein. I think it will encourage us in the same way. But I don't know about you, but sometimes, man, you read scripture and you're doing your devotionals and something just like comes off the page at you. It's like, it's so powerful and it's so pervasive. You're like, all right, you're saying something. And I don't, I don't know if you ever experienced this. You got to spend like a week just reading it over and over. And like, God, man, you're bringing something. You're doing something. And the Lord really spoke something to me and really opened my heart to a very strong truth that I believe about the church. And by church, I mean all of us here and online, all of the body of believers, right? I feel like that God was encouraging me with something as I've been observing the world. I don't know if you've been observing the world like I've been observing the world recently. Um, it's a little rough out there, guys. 
I don't know if you noticed this. Maybe you have uh, been not on the news. It's probably, probably a good idea. I can't help myself, if I'm being totally honest. I, I like to know what's going on. I like to know what's happening. Uh, and I, I got to say, as someone who considers themselves pretty in the know, I think there's a lot we can't know about what's going on in the world. And the more that I try to know, the more that I realize I don't know. But something that I've seen as I've observed uh, culture, I, I deeply care about the observance of culture and people and how people interact and, and ethics and all kinds of engagements. Uh, as I've observed culture, I've recognized that we struggle with something and we are struggling with something culturally right now. And it's the idea of grace. Culturally, we are struggling with grace. We struggle to give it to others. Come on, let's be honest. And we struggle, most of all, to give it to ourselves. I did a little Instagram poll. I was like, you know what? Who do you struggle to give grace to the most? Others or yourself? 95% of people said myself. Not that I, I don't struggle. It was just like I struggle the most to give it to myself. I struggle the most to give myself grace. And so then I asked, do you think you have a strong understanding of what grace even is? And most people said, no. So we don't really understand what it is. We know we're not giving it to ourselves. And if we were really honest, we're not really giving it to others. Because you can't give something to other people that you don't possess or understand or even know how to give so oftentimes when we think we're giving grace to others actually what we're giving them is we're giving them relationships without boundaries that cause us to be hurt we're not giving them grace we're not walking out grace with them what we're doing is we're, we have this like kind of weird twisted sense of empathy that that just allows us to be harmed by others and what we're seeing now culturally, if you're an observer of culture like I am, is a generally divided culture as grace is rarely expressed, as we rarely express it ourselves. We're seeing the effects of a lack of grace towards ourselves because we're seeing the rise of depression and anxiety. I almost don't, I, I don't make it a whole week without talking to somebody who is beating themselves up constantly for something who is telling me I'm just struggling with anxiety. They've built habits of anxiety in their life. We see the effect of a lack of grace towards others because where, where we look, we see strife, we see conflict, we see broken relationships. You don't have to look far to see broken relationships. In fact, some of you, you have a relationship that is, uh, I would say, tense, if not broken, that two years ago you thought would never break. But some political or social or medical issue over the past two years, to be unnamed, has caused tension and brokenness in your relationships. And now you're at a point of asking the question, where do we go from here? Is it just always broken? Is it just always tense? Or is there hope for restoration? And I want to encourage you that what Paul says to the church in Galatia, what Paul says to the Galatians is true for you here today. That through Christ, there is healing for broken relationships. That the body of believers, us here, you all, all of us, is an active participant 
in that healing, that God has given us an incredible opportunity. I know right now, the, the way our culture is formed, it might look that we are at a complete deficit. And honestly, some of you might think it's very hopeless. And, and man, I'm just looking at the tension. I look at the brokenness. I look at the strife, maybe even in your own family with others in your relationships. And you think, ah, that's a good thought, man. But I don't think it's going to be fixed. I want to tell you that God has given you an incredible opportunity to bring healing to others and how do we do it okay i'm gonna give it to you You ready bearing each other's burdens let's jump into the word of god if you brought your bible go with me to galatians 6 1 galatians 6 1 the words will be on the screen and I want to just kind of go verse by verse. Can we do that? Just kind of verse by verse. Because Paul says a ton of stuff here. Paul, I mean, he's writing a letter, so he's trying to get it all in. It's like back when there were like shorter limits on tweets and you had to get as much. He's trying to get as much in in one spot. So he says so much in one verse. So we're going to go verse by verse together and just do a little uh, expository work here. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Okay, he starts off with what kind of looks like a formula. He's, he's got a little order to things, right? He says, if anyone's caught in transgression, or yours might say sin, if anyone's caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then he adds, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. A lot of happening here. What is Paul writing? He's writing out a couple things. He's building an idea here to express to us the, where there is restoration. And the very first key foundation of this is that we are all sinners. We are all sinners saved by grace. Every one of us. We are all sinners saved by grace. None of you was taken from the top shelf. We all came from the bottom. Right? We are all sinners. Right? We are all saved by grace through Jesus Christ. And he says in there, if someone is caught in sin. Now, this is always an interesting thing, right? Because we are all sinners saved by grace. We're all in rebellion to Christ, and we receive Christ, and we say, God, I'm living for you. I'm pursuing you. I've received salvation because I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. But I'm also imperfect, which means at some point I'm going to make a mistake. And I'm going to fall. I'm going to miss the mark, which is the word sin. And so Paul is writing to the Galatians and he's saying, and he's, you know, he's already addressed, we're in chapter 6, he's already addressed all the sins they're facing. But he's saying the reality of being a part of a church is that people will sin. People will make mistakes. And when your fellow church person sins, you know who they hurt? Well, they hurt themselves, but they hurt you. Right? Why? Because you're near them. That's how it works. If I start flailing my arms, I'm just going to hit whoever's nearest to me. <laughs> if I start sinning, same principle. And he says, listen, that's going to hurt. It hurts. It hurts. And you cannot control if other people hurt you. But you can control how you respond to that hurt. See, Paul is more concerned with. He is very concerned with living righteously. But we can't cover everything constantly in every message all the time. So the root is Paul cares about sin. But what Paul is concerned in this moment is saying, how has God called us to respond 
when we sin. Because the responsibility, right? The response, the ability, our ability to respond, right? There's always a response based off our ability. That's our responsibility. Our responsibility of every believer is the restoration of the one who sins. Hear me. We have all been called to the ministry of restoration. If you're here today, if you're online, if you're watching this in a podcast or a YouTube, whatever, eight months from now, you're still called. We've all been called to the ministry of restoration. And it says, if anyone's caught in sin, it says, restore him. That word restore is katartisho, which literally means to put in order. In the New Testament, we see it used for the mending of nets for fishermen. They would mend nets. They would wash them and fold them so they would not break. But it's actually a medical term. It's a medical term to set a bone. How many of you guys have ever broken a bone? Has anyone ever broken a bone? Man, when you set a broken bone, that is the worst. That is worse than breaking the bone, right? It's like, you know what? Leave it broken. I'll just die, right? <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I've broken a few bones in my life, and uh, I got to say, it's the worst. Like, I, even I, I dislocated my shoulder a couple times. One time I was sprinting, and I ran into a goal post, and it dislocated my shoulder. And there's always that eye contact you make with your coach, and you know what he's going to say, and he knows what you're going to say. And he's like, hey, man, we got to put your shoulder back in, which now apparently you're supposed to go to the doctor and have them do it. But I don't know. In the 90s, no one cared. Uh, and so he's like, hey, man, we got to put it back in. It's like, okay, Greg, limited knowledge of human, <laughs> whatever. And, you know, you got to, and it hurts. To re restoration hurts. It can be painful, which is why culturally we avoid it. Because we live under this myth of, I don't want to restore because I don't want to hurt. I don't want to hurt them. Well, what is it hurting? The thing that blows my mind is people say, well, they're not hurting anyone. They're hurting them. Do you not care about them? If you're saying, well, what does it matter? What does it matter if I walk down death and destruction and sin in my life? I'm not hurting anyone. You're hurting you. And it turns out I and Jesus love you. I don't want you to be miserable your whole life. I don't want you to be confused about who you are and walk in misery and depression. I actually care about you. God cares about you. You are hurting someone. You're hurting you. But oftentimes we deny someone restoration and we deny truly saving them because we're worried about the pain of restoration. But the question is, if by damming up the river of grace for fear of causing pain in restoration, do we actually damn someone to a greater suffering? I, uh, I broke a bone in my foot. I was uh, wearing cowboy boots that had worn out the sole of, and I jumped out of my truck and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. Broke, my, broke a bone in my foot. Now, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know what bone. There's like eight and a half billion bones in your foot. Pretty confident broke a bone in my foot uh, again. And, and, uh, and I left it, because, and I didn't go to the doctor because I'm a man. Uh, 
I'm not saying that to, I'm just saying that was foolish, uh, but I come from a long line of non-doctor goers uh, when we should go to doctor. I come from a long line of, ah, that looks all right, just don't tell your mom, right? <laughs> that's, my, that's my inheritance is, uh, man, the ankle looks a bit swollen and turns out it's broken, but, you know, just don't tell your mom. Put some ice on it, you're fine. Uh, ah, those ribs, they'll be fine. They'll grow back, and then they grow back funky, right? You know, whatever. So I broke a bone in my foot, and I said, you know what? It's fine. It's just a little bone. I don't have to go deal with it because I don't want to have to stop boxing and, and training, and I, and I want to get better. And so what happened is the more I trained, the the more it hurts. Because if you know anything about fighting, the, the power of your hands comes through the planting and firmness of your foot, which if you have a broken bone in your right foot means every time you throw a punch, you feel excruciating pain, which I don't know why it didn't motivate me to go to the doctor, but it didn't. And my wife is shaking her head at me. <laughs> but what instead happened is that it began to hurt even more and become even more of a problem. And that's the reality of our souls is often we have these things that maybe they're small things, but they are broken. And if we do not restore them, then it causes us even greater pain and hurt. This is why God says, you, the church, you're the body. We're the body of Christ. And that's such a great image. Because if part of us is broken, are we actually healthy? Right? If my, if my foot is broken, I'm like, ah, oh, I'm peak, peak physical health. Right? Like, no, you're not healthy. You have something that needs to be healed. And that's the reality of us as the body of faith. We neither cut off the broken foot, nor do we ignore it. What are we supposed to do? Restore it back to health so that we're healthy as a complete body right? The eye does not sit there and yell at the foot for being broken, though it might think it a bit silly. Nor does it cut it off and remove it and think, well, we're just better without it. We have enough hands. We'll walk on our hands. There's a work of restoration. Listen, no matter what team you serve on, no matter how you're engaged in the body of Christ, can I just encourage you? You have been given a great ministry of restoration. It's the mutual work of all believers. Let me give you a little clause here. Restoration, though, this work of restoration, it requires a spirit of gentleness. He says, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him to a spirit of gentleness. That's interesting. You who are spiritual. Does anyone feel like I'm really spiritual? People tell me that, like, oh, I'm not religious. I'm just spiritual. Sure. <laughs> I'm a spiritual gangster. Sure you are. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course you are. Uh, it's not really what he's saying. What he's saying is those who are believers, who have been filled and received the Holy Spirit. So let me put it this way. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you've received the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, are you a believer in Christ? Yes. Like a true believer in Christ and the gospel and the, and the Holy Spirit? Yes. Great, then you but he says it requires a spirit of gentleness. He says through gentleness. If you do this without gentleness, can I just tell you right from the beginning, it doesn't work. Trust me, I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. He says it requires gentleness, but the spirit of gentleness. In Galatians 5, just before this, he's outlined the fruit of the spirit. I'll give you one guess as to what one of the fruit of the spirit is. Gentleness. See, it feels weird to yell it. You guys said it right about the temple. You should, gentleness. You can't be like, gentleness! Right? It doesn't, doesn't feel right, but you're right. It's gentleness. 
Gentleness is one of the fruit of the spirits. Let's be honest, church. Restoration is messy. It can be frustrating. It can be difficult. It can be painful. Remember the bone being set back in? That is like such a great observation, uh, such a great uh, visualization of what it's like. I asked people, I said when, on, uh, on Instagram, on one of the polls, I was like, when is it the hardest to give grace to others? And nobody was like, when they're really mean or when they, when they don't like me. It was when they do the same thing over and over and get angry at me for trying to help them. I, uh, I remember when I was doing youth, we had uh, all these kids, just had the most wild hood kids in our youth ministry. Uh, I don't know why Katie and I just attracted every wild hood kid. Like, it was crazy. I was just like, if someone, if we went the whole youth group without someone being high, it was amazing. Now the youth group's all like safe and stuff. But at the time, it was wild. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And we had this kid, and we were down in the basement of, of one of these buildings, and some of the group of kids was down there. They were playing around, and he got hit in the face with a pipe because, you know, boys are prone to chaos. And uh, he started bleeding from the face because his face was cut open. So we took him uh, to this hospital in Everett. And, of course, because you're not going to know what Everett's like, um, but the power wasn't working for the computers, which is the best description I could give to the place that I'm from, was that the computers at the hospital weren't working. So they said, we just got to write everything down and we'll put it in later. And I was like, okay. They said, okay, but just so you know, we can't give him like uh, anesthesia in his face because it'll swell up. You have to hold him down while we put his face together. I was like, I don't know, this is in my job description, but all right, let's do it. That's honestly when I'm at my best is pure chaos. And uh, that's, I just like wait for those moments. That's when I shine. So I was like, all right, let's do it. And so I had to hold this uh, freshman down. He was a freshman or sophomore. Hold him down on the hospital bed as, as they stitched him up. And uh, as they were doing the work of restoration, I got the blunt of his anger and pain, right? So he was, you know, scratching at me. He, like, grabbed a hold of my hand really hard, and literally his fingernails cut into my hand, and I was bleeding. This is what being a youth leader is like. Um, in case you're wondering what being a youth pastor is like, you're like, I really want to do ministry. This is what it is. <laughs> Just literally bleeding for kids. Um, and the, I, I picture this all the time when we do the work of restoration is I didn't blame him for as he was being put back together and walking through the painful process of inflicting damage to me, it wasn't my favorite thing and I didn't run towards it, but I understood that in restoration, right, there is a sense of collateral, which is why it requires a spirit of gentleness because my flesh will do that maybe once, but after a while, like, we're going to throw hands, like, right? <laughs> It requires the Holy Spirit. Hear me. It requires the Holy Spirit. One more time. It requires the Holy Spirit because gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is great strength under control. It takes great strength to not react emotionally when we see someone caught in sin, but to respond patiently and fervently. That takes the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit, but gentleness and the spirit of gentleness that comes from the fruit of the Holy Spirit, as we are grafted into the vine of Jesus with him moving through us and producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life, it is so crucial because gentleness is the catalyst for compassion. Hear me, to bring healing to the sinner, we have to have a compassionate view on the one who sinned. 
It is mind-blowing to me how as sinners, often we will have such a uh, low view of people who are us, sinners. And it might come through strength once to just really grit it out, but it comes through the Spirit because in our working with restoration, we can become exhausted and frustrated. But it is important that we have this gentleness that becomes a catalyst for true compassion. Because remember what Paul says. Paul says, if someone is caught in transgression. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen the show Catfish, where like people are being catfished online. Someone's pretending to be somebody they're not. And then they go find that person, and they find them like mid-text, and it's always somebody who's not even close to the person they represented. And it's like, um, it's like, the, it's like uh, to catch a predator, but no kids involved, right? So it's like somehow safer. It's just weird that someone pretends to be someone. It's like, you said you were a Russian model, 6'7". It turns out you are a 55-year-old male. Like, that's how it always goes. Paul is not saying if you are randomly surprised someone in their sin. Paul is saying if someone is caught in transgression. That word is trapped. Paul says we are to restore those who are trapped, who are held hostage by their sin. It's easy to to attack someone for their sin. But Paul says, what if we begin to recognize that those who are in sin are caught, are trapped? Jesus says in John 8, 34, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. See, when someone sins, people are hurt, right? There's victims. We've all been the victim of someone else's sins, I'm sure. But not only are we hurt, but the sinner is hurt. I know this is provocative to say, but the sinner is hurt too. Hurt people hurt people. Abused people abuse people. People trapped in sin hurt people with their sin. And Paul is not excusing personal responsibility. Please hear me. Trust me. If you've read enough of Paul's writing, you know he's not excusing personal responsibility for the sinner. But Paul is recognizing the terrible captivating force of sin. This is so important. God has called us to a restorative work done by gentleness of the Holy Spirit, but it must be awakened through true compassion. See, to restore broken relationships, we must first recognize and even mourn the deceitful captivity of sin. Our heart cannot break for the sinner until it is first broken over the tragedy of sin that led them towards darkness. See, healing begins with compassion just as Jesus looked upon the crowd of his children and saw them harassed and helpless without a shepherd. And just like Jesus, compassion must be secured in the depths of our spirit through gentleness, not in the changing nature of our emotions. Because it is through Holy Spirit-given gentleness that we find the catalyst for compassion. Your flesh will not be enough to wade through the difficult work of restoration. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And can I tell you, God never intended for you to wade through the work of restoring broken relationships by yourself. He always intended that the Holy Spirit would supply your every need. And so Paul adds in this, this moment of caution. He says, be careful. 
and stay humble. I love that addition by Paul at the end of the verse. If you'll notice that if you're still in Galatians, he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. It's easier to pull someone down than it is to pull them up. Amen? Amen. He says, listen, as you're doing this work, it's going to be really tempting to think that you're pretty great and you're pretty high and mighty. But just remember that you're a sinner too. And uh, you were rescued out of sin. And that's not because sin is like dumb. Like, sin is really enticing. Right? The sin that is your temptation is incredibly enticing. He says, be careful <laughs> that as you're doing restorative work, that you don't fall into the sin. Just remember your place in the equation of restoration. And so he says in Galatians 6, 2, everyone still with me? Okay, we're still good. Uh, he says in Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. So the restoration process we just witnessed is what Paul means when he says, let's bear one another's burdens. He's describing, he just described it. He said, this, listen, this is your ministry. And this is what it means. This is what it comes to. This is what it looks like. This is bearing one another's burdens. See, the ministry of every believer is bearing burdens. Where do we go from here? What do we do? What do we do with all this brokenness and broken relationships? We bear one another's burdens. There's some very important things here. We all have burdens. They're different sizes, they're different shapes, different kinds of reasons. Some burdens are very clearly the, the temptation and consequences of sin, but others are not. Some burdens are, are simply ailments. Maybe they're disorders. Maybe they're family crises. Maybe they're a lack of employment. There's all kinds of things. But hear me, church. This is kind of sad, but it's unifying. We all have burdens. Paul had burdens, right? Jesus had burdens. Jesus was so burdened, he's crying, blood. That's burdened. There's a weight. We all have burdens that we face. Paul had burdens. But what I love about the Lord is that God does not intend for us to carry them alone. See, in culture, we've built this myth of self-sufficiency. This myth of self-sufficiency where it's like, it's all got to be this, like, I'm self-made. I made my own way. I found my way. I didn't require anyone. I didn't need anyone. I was like, great. Did you use water at any point in your self-made journey? Yeah. Then your life required someone. Did you go to the grocery store at any time? Yeah. Then it required someone. But let's say you didn't. Let's say you cut everyone else out and it was just you. Is that where God created you to be? To live in this sense of just, I don't need anyone. I bear my own burden. No. There's too much stoicism. I, I, it's interesting. I, I, I read a lot of philosophy and it's been interesting seeing a lot of stoicism work its way into uh, American uh, personality, especially American manhood. Because I believe, honestly, like, man, I, I've been so proud of our men's team that they are just incredible men of God, and they are leading the way. And I, I, collectively, men in this nation need to sack up and lead. So I love seeing it. 
but there's a little bit of stoicism that's kind of worked into our culture where we think that the goal of a happy life is this aloofness from pleasure and pain. It's like, don't get too excited. Don't get too upset. It's this idea of self-sufficiency, this like, I'm going to brave the harsh elements of life without depending on others. And that's going to make me brave because I made it on my own. I didn't need anybody. I went my own way. And we're like, that's so brave. That's so prideful. And it's not Christian. Christianity says the opposite. That this complete abandon of others, I'm going to make everyone's down, I'm going to make it on my own, is actually prideful. And what happens is if we live in this myth of self-sufficiency, we don't let other people know our struggles. We put our armor on, right? We don't let other people know our business. And we say stuff like, I, I just don't want people to know what's going on. I don't want people to know my business. I'm a very private person. I don't want people talking about me. That, that's called pride. If you're afraid of people talking about you, it's not because you're afraid they're going to say something good. Like, oh, I'm just worried people are going to say too many good things about me. I just, I couldn't handle it. Like, you're worried they're going to say something bad. People are saying bad things about you if you let them know what's going on in your life. That's called pride. You think it's fear, so you think it's humility, but it's not. It's actually pride. It's a prideful position to think that I should not open myself because what if people think about me? What if people think this about me? And the hard part is like, we're just robbing ourselves. We're just robbing ourselves. Jesus, the only person who could have been a self-sufficient island, right? If anyone could have pulled it off to live life by themselves and not let anyone into their business and do it all by themselves, it was Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Basically the exact opposite of that, yeah. right? He got 12 dudes, sometimes 72, sometimes 120 together and lived life together. And guess what? They were also kind of not nice to him all the time. Right? They were imperfect. They denied him. Dude, literally one of them sold him out to die. None of your friends are that bad because you're here, so I know they haven't murdered you yet. Yeah. Right? But Jesus chose no man is an island to himself. Why is that important? Because God has created the church to minister to each other's burdens. Just like lift the weight off, right? To minister to each other's burdens. We all have burdens. We weren't meant to carry them alone. And so God has tempered the body of Christ, us as the church, to be the priest to one another. You're like, whoa, priest, what are we talking about here? You are anointed by the Holy Spirit to do ministry. You are the priesthood of believers. And I know we, we are meant to bring our burdens before God, right? First Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety onto him because he cares for you. I love that. I have that tattooed on me somewhere. There it is. Harder to find now. <laughs> it's getting difficult. <laughs> but what I love about the Lord is often when we bring our burdens to God, he sends us a friend. When Paul was tormented in his ministry, when he was heavy burdened, in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 6, it says, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. It says, But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Look at that. When Paul needed his burdens lifted, he sent a friend. Some of you, you are Paul, and God wants to send you a Titus. And some of you... It's time to be Titus. To go to someone and to lift their burden. 
Because when we bear burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. Do you hear that phrase, the law of Christ? Someone say the law of Christ. The law of Christ. When we bear burdens, we fulfill the law of Christ. That's an interesting phrase. It's actually really interesting when you consider that in Galatia, their problem was that people who were deeply involved in Mosaic law, these uh, traditional Jews who became believers of Jesus Christ, were putting Mosaic ceremonial law on new believers saying they had to do this in order to follow Christ. They would say, well, Christians should be doing blank. They should be doing this. They should be doing this in order to be saved. But Paul says, no, that's not the Mosaic law. It's not the ceremonial law that they must go through. One of the big ones was circumcision. They're like, I'm not going to make all these dudes get circumcised. He says there's something more important that is being established and was established through Jesus Christ, and that's the law of Christ. I know that that sounds interesting because really nowhere else is that word used, but it's not the ceremonial law of Moses. Sorry, people who are against like tattoos and mixed fabric and pork. Sorry. It's the moral law of God summarized in Jesus' statement of the new commandment where he says in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. See, the law of Christ for Paul is the whole tradition of Jesus' ethical teaching confirmed by his character within his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me shrink that down. When we bear burdens, we love others as Christ loved us and therefore fulfill his law. Christ did not ignore our sins, nor did he chastise us for them. He restored us. Hear me today. What does a true Christian do? A true Christian lives out the ministry of restoration. And then Paul adds this in verse 4. He says, But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. And that just immediately gets confusing, because I just spent 25 minutes telling you to bear each other's burdens, and now I'm saying bear your own burden. And it's like, well, thank you. That makes no sense. But there's an important distinction in the words that are happening because what Paul is saying is don't compare yourself to others, surrender to God. Don't compare yourself to others as you're doing the work of restoration, as you're walking with people who need their burdens lifted and they're walking with you. Don't be comparing to each other. Be looking to God. In verse 2, that word burden refers to a forced, heavy load. Whereas verse 5, the word portion is a, it's a PH portion, which is kind of a funky word, which means a pilgrim's backpack or a soldier's knapsack. One of the best quotes I've heard about this says this. So we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to because it's a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. It says, and that is our responsibility on the God, <clears throat> our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack and I cannot carry yours. There's one weight we carry, the decisions we make in obedience to God. Basically, if I choose to do it or don't, no one else carries the burden of that consequence but me. If I do it or I don't, no one else carries that but me. 
that's the one. We've all been given an opportunity for obedience. And it's not our job to compare our struggles or our burdens to others. It's our job to compare ourselves in a sense or put ourselves up against the standard of God. That word to test literally is testing of gold. What do you test gold against? The gold that is the most pure. Put ourselves up against the thing that's most pure. You want to you wanna start not worrying about other people? Put yourself up against God. You'll have enough to think about. I remember when I was a younger, I got to go on this soccer team trip to England, and uh, we, we got all these kids together who were like some of the best kids in the area, and uh, we, yeah, we were good at soccer, but that, you know, this, you're talking like late 90s, early 2000s, Washington, uh, where it was still called recreational soccer. We viewed it as a recreation, and so we were really good, and we would destroy people, like destroy them. But then we went to England, and I don't know if you knew this about England, if you've not been recently. They really like soccer. They don't call it that because they're weird. But they, they, they don't like soccer. And, or they really love soccer. And they destroyed us. Like, the only team we beat was fake English. They were Australian. And uh, they absolutely destroyed us. Why? Because we compared. <laughs> now we had a different standard. Right? It was like kids who were born with cleats on. They were all named Ronaldo, right? They just came out of the womb, just ready to play soccer. And we were there like, yeah, we've been, we've been doing this recreationally. They're like, we're in a club. I'm like, what does that even mean, right? And I, and I remember thinking like, we're not even on the same page. That is what happens when we begin to compare ourselves to others versus looking at the comparison to God. It's like someone who's six foot and six foot one arguing about what's the tallest thing on earth while standing in front of some building in Dubai. We're not even in the same book. What we should hold ourselves to is the standard of God. Look around to the people around you. Are you more or less spiritual than them? Are you more or less put together? Are you better or worse? Can I just say, who cares? Literally, who cares? Some of you, you just need to hear that. Who cares? Are you more or less? I don't know. Who cares? This is a common pride issue. I talk to people all the time. Like, well... Just worried people are thinking about me. You know, what they think about me. I think they're thinking about me. People are thinking, they're thinking things about me. And I just want to say, just collectively here, no one's thinking about you, and that's the problem. <laughs> is that everyone's thinking that everyone is thinking about them, and we're not thinking about each other, and therefore no burdens get lifted. We need to stop worrying about what people are thinking about us and begin thinking about others and begin lifting burdens. That's, that's the thing we celebrate as a church. I love seeing it because our church does this where I can look around and say, hey, that's a burden being lifted. That's a friendship being started. That's a weight being carried. That's what matters. You're like, I'm worried. If you're online and you're worried about coming to physical church because you haven't been in two years and you're like, I don't know what people are th gonna think about me. We literally don't care. We just miss you. Right? That's the problem. We're all thinking about ourselves. He's like, no, think about others. This is the beauty of a Christian life, is that we've received the grace of God, and we just let it flow downstream to somebody else. Like, we're just a part of this beautiful river that is flowing and bringing life to others. We don't fight to be greater than others. We just want to lift others up. That's the beauty of a great church. We don't call people out. We lift them up. We lift their head. We encourage. We strengthen I just want to encourage you, man, some of you today, you just stop worrying about what people think. Not in the, like, you're going to go out and do a bunch of sins, because, like, I don't care. But in the sense of your insecurity or your inadequacy or your past 
or how you look or your background or what people have said about you in other situations. Can I just tell you, if you're here at Banner Church, we don't care for, about that. We just want to lift each other's burdens. I love Galatians 6. I feel like he slid it in there for me. It says, let the one who was taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I love what he throws us in here. Paul is very adamant about supporting those who teach the gospel. His role is very unique, but he's very much about supporting the church. I said it first service, and I'll say it again. I'm so thankful for you guys as your pastor because I feel incredibly supported and loved on by this church. And I, I'm very thankful for the grace and the focus that we as a church have had as we've faced the past couple difficult years and as we believe God for great things for the future. I know that it's not always easy. I know it's not always even easy to to follow me, right? I know everybody's flawed, but I have felt so honored and loved, and my family's loved, and my kids loved, and it's just a blessing to be here. So I'm sure there's a sermon in there about loving and caring, but I just got to say, I'm really thankful. So we'll move on. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Man, he just changes on a dime. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap uh, from, from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let me give you the most basic principle, and let me explain how it applies. It doesn't apply. You reap what you sow. Now, this is not like a dollar-for-dollar dollar exchange rate. If you're in a foreign country, you got to exchange money. you got to find the best one. You know what I'm saying? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the principle of how you invest into the kingdom of God with your life. See, the ministry of restoration and burden-bearing has been laid out by Paul. And the responsibilities have been revealed. And we just need to be honest. There's two options. I know, post-Western you know, world, we don't like that there's two, but there's just two. In your heart, you're going, there's not two. I'll go whichever way I want. No, that's the part where he says, you've just deceived yourself. God cannot be mocked. You don't get to make a third way. There was two ways. One, you sow into a sinful nature and you harvest decay. The word phthora literally conveys the idea of a rotting corpse. You sow death, you reap death. Option two is you sow into the spirit and then you harvest an eternal life. Those who... It feels weird that I have to sell it, to be honest. If I'm being totally honest, it feels weird to be, I'm like, this is the greatest thing that could ever be given to you. You should choose. It feels weird that we wouldn't just be like, yes, let's do it. But, you know, there's a tension of the flesh, right? Let's be honest. We want to do it, but there's a tension of the flesh. He says, don't sow into that flesh that wants to pull you away from it, wants to lock you into yourself. He says, no, sow into the spirit. And in so you receive eternal life. But what's beautiful about how he says eternal life is he's not just saying in eternity and eternity in heaven. He's saying you have the beautiful life with Jesus right now. Life with an eternal God right now. And it's such a profoundly simple principle. And as I was reading, I, I kept coming across what was called the common delusion of man. The common delusion of man is that it's true for everyone else, but it won't be true for me. And can I tell you, that's not true. That's why it's the delusion. <laughs> because God says... He cannot be mocked. Let me make it even simpler. If you put carrot seeds into the ground, you will get carrots. You say, well, for me, for me, because I got, I got hustle. I got attitude. I'm good looking. I can make it happen. I'm going to get beets. Bet. <laughs> Bet. Bet the farm on that, homie. You're getting carrots. You're like, well, I did a little bit. Nope, carrots. Trust me. Trust me. You're getting carrots. If you get beets, then you lied and you planted 
beat seats. That's how it works. That's nature. The same thing is true in life. If you sow into your flesh, you will reap destruction. Yeah, no, I don't think so. What I'm going to do is I'm going to sow into the flesh of my family and selfishness and self-focus for like 20 years. Then my kids are a little older. I'm going to hope that like the youth pastor fixes them and we'll reap a harvest of like some solid children. No, you won't. Surprise. But beyond that, it's not a sense of causality. Because in the same moment, you can sow into your relationships and have them still have problems. You can sow into your family life and the Word of God and still have your kids do bananas things that go beyond what you taught them. Right, parents? Like, you do your best. Sometimes people got to make their own choices. It's like, wait a second, how does this apply to my life? Because it's not about being responsible for reaping or harvesting or growing. Our job is to sow and trust that God rewards in an earthly sense and an eternal sense. Our focus is our priorities, not our harvest. God is responsible for the harvest. God is responsible for bringing about. And there is hope. Chandler mentioned this last week. There's, there is a temporal hope, a hope right now where we see results and we see beautiful things. But there's also an eternal hope where we believe and trust that God is good. And so the question is not, if I sow this, if I read this, if I sow this, if I put this, if I do this, if I do this. The question is, where will I sow? And that's it. And God is responsible for the harvest, which is why Paul offers an encouragement. Because if you're like me and you've sowed into places and you're like, okay, God, I thought you said I was going to reap a harvest. I'm getting a lot of tension and brokenness. What the heck? Maybe that's too honest, but that, that's life, right? <laughs> you had that conversation with God? Okay, God, I sowed in. I thought, I, I mean, but what? What? He gives an encouragement. He says, don't give up. Paul knows something that you know and I know. Restoration is tough, but God is good. It takes time to rebuild broken things. It takes time to rebuild broken relationships. So Paul says, don't give up. He says in verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. I don't know about you. I'm very warm, but we're going to make it through, right? This is, I, I want you, if you like zoned out and you snap back in, if you were online, you clicked away like a cat video, come back to us now. We want you here to hear this right now in your spirit. Put Instagram down. It will not save you. You need to hear this. This is important on your life. One of the greatest obstacles to rebuilding relationships is simply fatigue. It's fatigue. But Paul gives us these two beautiful incentives. He assures us of a reward if we do not give up. He says there's going to be a harvest in due season. When I first planted carrots, no one told me they'd take a third of a year to grow. I was like, are you freaking kidding me? For a carrot? That feels like a lot. I'm just saying, God. 135 days? Like what? Or whatever it is. 200 days? Like, my goodness. Planting something else next time. Some of you have some carrots in your life. You got some relationships that have been dirty. They've been in the dirt for a long time. And you're like, oh my gosh, Lord, like when is this coming out of the ground? But I want to encourage you that Paul assures us that there is a reward if we do not give up. 
God does reward in this life. I know, you always have to walk this line when you share this. I know we're, we're closing up here on time. I, I know you always have to walk this line when you share this because you can get into prosperity doctrine, which is not what I'm saying, but I am saying we have a loving God who rewards in this life. And I, I can say that with confidence because I've seen it. Not only in my life, but in the life of others. If it was just in my life, it'd be a hard sell. But I've seen it time and time again that if you sow gentleness into relationships, you will reap a harvest of restoration. Yep. And the second thing is that he motivates us by reminding us that we're part of a great family. We're co-heirs with Christ. We're united by him. You are not alone. Hear me. You are not alone. One more time, just so you can hear me. You are not alone. Every spirit-filled believer is called to the ministry of restoration. Band, you guys can come up. So the band's coming up. I know that many of you in your life, you have difficult and broken relationships. There are people in this room, and, and you included, we all have burdens. But we are in this together, and in being in it together, we actively fight for the health of the family of God. And what I've learned about church is if we're not fighting for health, we usually fight each other. We actively fight for the health of the family. And I was reading this uh, the other week. I found a, a reading that comes from uh, November 4th, 1790. And it's called a congregational covenant. And the old churches, they would read these statements in agreement together because they recognized the mutual importance of bearing one another's burdens. And then collectively they would say, amen, and they'd be in agreement together. So I just want to read it to you because this, I read this and I thought, man, this is really my heart and my prayer for the church. Here was their prayer. Or here was their agreement, I guess. To walk in love toward those with whom we stand connected in the bonds of Christian fellowship. As the effect of this, we will pray much for one another. As we have opportunity, we will associate together for religious purpose. Those of us who are in more comfortable situations in life than some of our brethren with regard to the good things of providence will administer as we have ability and see occasion to their necessities. We will bear one another's burdens, sympathize with the afflicted in body and mind so far as we know their case under their trials. And as we see occasion, advise, caution, and encourage one another. We'll watch over one another for good. We will studiously avoid giving or taking offenses. Thus, we will make it our study to fulfill the law of Christ. These things and whatever else may appear and join by the word of God, we promise in the strength of divine grace to observe and practice. But knowing our insufficiency for anything that's spiritually good in and of ourselves, we look up to him who giveth power to the faint, rejoicing that in the Lord we have not only righteousness but strength. Hold thou us up, O Lord, and we shall be safe. Amen. Would you stand with me today? As you're standing, would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to ask you two questions today in the spirit of what we've read about restoration and the ministry of restoration for all and the spirit of gentleness that resides and moves through each of us. There's two questions I want to ask, and the very first is simply this. Do you need to be restored today? 
before you step into the carrying the weight and the burden of others, you must first lay down your burden before the feet of Christ. You're saying today, maybe a decision you've been making or a hidden sin, or maybe you've never made the decision to follow Jesus Christ with your life. Maybe you have followed faithfully, but you've wandered away. There are things that you feel are constantly dragging you. In many ways, you may feel caught. And you're here today and you're saying, Lord, I long to be restored by the power of the Holy Spirit in all gentleness. And I hope you know today with every eye closed and every head bowed, the Lord will restore you. If that's you and you're saying, God, I want to be restored today. Would you lift your hands? I want to pray for you today. God, I want to be restored today. Let me pray over you today. God, I thank you that you, that all who call on your name will be saved. And I thank you that you are a God of restoration. That while we were still enemies with you, you sent your son to die for us. So how much more will you restore and provide for us as we are now your co-heirs? As we are now your children, God. So I pray restoration. I pray for that sin that has been dragging down over and over. I pray it released by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray every foothold broken. I pray every shame released. I pray over every darkness that you would bring light and truth and that the work would begin. I pray against any fear of, of the pain of restoration. But as they walk restoration, they would find just the, the, the salve, the, the cooling balm of your love and your goodness upon their life. That there would not be uh, aching, but there would be completeness and joy in your name. The second thing in this moment with your eyes closed and head bound. If you're here today and as we read that commitment, you're saying, Lord, I want to be committed. And I'm going to respond to the call. And I'm before we worship just right where you are, you're saying, I want to respond to the call. The call of God on my life upon every believer to be engaged in the work of restoration. But you recognize that it takes the Holy Spirit. And you're here today to say, I need Holy Spirit given gentleness to do this work. I want to pray for you right now. If you're here today to say, God, would you lead me? Would you direct me? Would you guide me? Would you strengthen me? That I might come alongside those who are under a burden and lift them and take up the call. If you're here today and you're willing to make that commitment to take up the call of bearing burdens in this church, would you lift your hands? I want to pray together today. Say, God, I take up the call to bear one another's burdens. I want to pray for you today. And as I pray, I want you to take it seriously. This is a call and a command of God on your life. So you and only you can weigh whether you will be obedient to it or not. But if you are willing to say, Holy Spirit, move through me and work through me to fill, fulfill this call of God on my life, then lift your hands. I want to pray for you today. Mighty God, I thank you that it is not by our strength, but your strength. Holy Spirit, bring forth your gentleness and guide us in the ministry of restoration. Lead us. Open our eyes. Strengthen us. Go before us. Comfort us. Heal us 
We submit ourselves completely to you and ask that you move here today. To the one who needs healing, we pray heal. To the one whose heart needs softening, we pray soften it today. The one who's wrestling with obedience, we pray surrender today in this moment. And I pray, God, that out of this moment would burst forth a church actively, consistently, and passionately engaged in the restoration work of Jesus Christ, that no one is beyond you, no one is beyond your love, that even those in our midst, when we stumble and fall, that we are not cast out or cut off, but we are embraced in the loving arms of the Father, and we are lifted and brought back up into unity with Him, into alignment with Him. So God, make us by the power of the Holy Spirit active participants. And in this moment, I just invite you, wherever you are, in your heart, to say, Holy Spirit, I yield my heart to you. I yield myself to you, and I ask you to move. Bring forth your gentleness. Open my eyes. Open my heart and engage me. I commit to walk in obedience to your call, to the work of restoration to those around me. In your name, amen. Let's sing the name of Jesus today. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.